Thank you so much to our praise band. Thank you for alivening our spirits, not because we're tired, but uh, simply so that we might be alive to worship today. Thank you so much for the message and what you've sung. It is because of the cross that makes us alive, sets us free. It's the reason that we've come to worship together. Take your Bibles, if you would. If you'd find 2 Samuel, the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 17 through 27. Appreciate you being here in worship today. We are glad that you have come. And uh, as we're continuing our trek, as we're looking at the life of David, recognizing that he, Jesus, is still king, regardless of what happens in this world we live, regardless of what takes place in our lives, we can know that Jesus is still king. We find, we come to this part of David's life, transitioning from 1 Samuel to 2 Samuel. At the end of 1 Samuel, there's a great defeat of the Israeli army and uh, Jonathan, the son of Saul, David's friend, has died in that battle. Saul, the king of Israel, has died in that battle, battle with the Philistines. And then David discovers about that in the first chapter of 2 Samuel. And he writes this psalm, he writes this lament that we're going to be reading now. And uh, so now this is the word of God. 2 Samuel chapter 1, beginning verse 17, says, And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan his son, and he said it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it's written in the book of Jasher. We don't have that book any longer. But he said, Your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places, how the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Eshkelon. These are the cities of the Philistines. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings for the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel, who, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perish. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. My, uh, my family and I were traveling along with some others from our church. We were traveling through Kentucky several years ago. Actually coming back from a mission trip where we had uh, in near... Cincinnati, working with the church there. And as we were coming back, we decided to uh, stop off at Mammoth Caves in Kentucky. Some of you, I'm sure, probably have been there. And we bought our tickets and got on a tour with some others who were going through. And uh, we had the uh, park ranger tour guide, of course, that was taking us down into the cave. We got down into the large room there, I guess. And I was the last one maybe coming into that area, into that door. And as I was, the the, the park ranger tour guide... uh, Asked me, he said, would you stand here at the light switch? And he said, I'm going to talk a little bit, then I'm going to ask you to turn off the lights if you turn off the lights. And then I'm going to ask you to turn it back on. Would you turn them back on? He said, but whatever you do, don't let go of that light switch because it's going to be totally dark. And I guess he thought I looked trustworthy, but looks can be deceiving perhaps. But uh, So he came down and had the gathered and he talked about, you know, and did his little talk there. And then he, he said to me, he said, okay, cut off the lights. And I cut off the lights and... Uh, He said, now, for thousands and thousands of years, there was total darkness down in this cave until man came and 
discovered this cave, bringing their light in and said, it's total darkness. You'll not be able to see your hand in front of the face. And sure enough, you couldn't. And, and then he said, switch the light on. I didn't do a thing. He waited a moment. And I said, turn the lights back on. And uh, I waited. Finally, I said, I can't find the switch. He, uh, he got his little flashlight, started heading back toward me. And I flipped the light on and said, I'm just kidding. He did not find that near as funny as I thought it was. <laughs> but can I tell you that that is uh, somewhat the message of the gospel. It is a light that comes in the darkness to where there was no light whatsoever. Now the light has been shown because of who Jesus is. And when we go through periods of darkness in our life, you can know he has his hand on the switch. David's psalm of lament for the loss of Israel's king and for his dearest friend Jonathan it does not necessarily give praise. It does not explicitly give encouragement or hope. But it does give us a glimpse into the grieving process of David, the man after God's own heart. He grieves for Saul, not only because he has been slain, but because he has fallen spiritually in a sense in which he no longer has God's favor on his life. Repeated several times in what we just read, how the mighty have fallen. Saul was slain. And he had fallen spiritually from God and was not experiencing God's favor. He speaks of his many acts of valor for which he had many on the battlefield. He was the protector of Israel. So this was not false praise or false grief for Saul. Even more so for Jonathan. The psalm is sometimes labeled the bow because of the bow that's mentioned of Jonathan. And Jonathan, you might remember, used the bow and arrow to give a message to David earlier. We've talked about that to where... David would be uh, needed the message to whether he knew he could come back to the palace or not, but he could not. But when he, when uh, Jonathan uh, used his bow and arrow to tell David, and that he would be on the run from that point over. In fact, uh, David, sa Jonathan saved David's life, and even Jonathan almost lost his life because of his friendship uh, with David. As expressed here and in other chapters, their friendship and love for one another was greater than any other in their lives. With nothing illicit or inappropriate, would that we could all have a friend like Jonathan or Jonathan and David. And uh, keep in mind that they were also family members. And they, they, Jonathan was David's brother-in-law. Would that we could have family or friend like David and or Jonathan. Now we've talked about lessons on friendship. But this is going to be a lesson on when you lose a friend or when you lose a family member, or other types, or other things that might cause grief in our life. We, we might call this Christian Grieving 101. Now, if you've been keeping up with the last couple of weeks' messages, and even if not, you're welcome to, we're glad that you've joined us today. But a couple of weeks ago, we talked about where David was at his very lowest physically. He was hiding out in caves at the uh, Dead Sea and around the Dead Sea, lowest place on earth, there he was running from King Saul. Last week we talked about where David was at his lowest spiritually, at least up to that point, because he had left the land of Judah and he'd gone into the land of the enemy and the territory of the Philistines, greatest enemies of the Israelites. Well, this week we're going to talk about how David is at his lowest emotionally, at least up to this point. When David and his Men are fighting the Amalekites. They're rescuing their families who have been taken in exile or have been kidnapped. At that very same time, Saul and his son Jonathan and the Israeli army are fighting the Philistines on Mount Gilboa. 
It's found in the last chapter of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 31. And Israel suffers a great loss. And the bodies of the Israelite soldiers are littered on Mount Gilboa, on the mountainside. All of Saul's sons die in the battle before Saul does. Saul is wounded. And he's there with his armor bearer and the enemy is closing in. In fact, Saul orders his armor bearer to kill him at that point so that he would not be killed by the enemy or tortured by the enemy. But the, uh, the armor bearer refused. And there the scripture tells us King Saul falls on his own sword. Armor bearer falls, follows suit. All this happens at last chapter of 1 Samuel. And in the first chapter of 2 Samuel, David gets word of the defeat and the death of the king and his best friend. And David laments or he mourns with this psalm we have read and calls for all of Judah to learn the psalm to be sung for those who are slain with an emphasis on Saul and Jonathan. And while the psalm does not mention God, it is no doubt that it is God to God and it is an example for us taking our grief to the Lord. The question for today is how do we interpret this story and make application about grieving and mourning, particularly as New Testament believers, in light of what Jesus did, what Jesus taught, in particular in light of the cross and the resurrection. Now this may not be why you have come here today. It may not be what you think you might need today, but I can tell you that one day you will need this, if not now or at some time in the past. Or it may be just what you need today. Maybe you're experiencing some kind of grief or mourning. It does not have to be at the loss of a loved one. And, but maybe some difficulty or disappointment that you're going through. Because not every form of grief is due to loss of life. It just so happens that on our Wednesday night study in one of our classes, as we're looking at the Beatitudes of Jesus, we've come across this past week, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, where it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We might think that Jesus would say, Happier are you if you follow me. If you follow me, you're not going to have any more sadness, no more grief, no more difficulties. But actually what was happening here, Jesus was making a prediction that in this life that you live, that you will come across, you will have some grief and some mourning and some difficult times that you will go through and some discouragements along the way. And even maybe even more so as believers in Jesus, at least that's what Jesus told his disciples, maybe even more grief as followers of Jesus and We'll see why that might be the case, but it is true. I think believers ought to be the happiest people on earth. I think we ought to be the most joyful people. But if we, if we did a Bible search, you'd, you'd find a lot of folks who went through some grief in the Bible. We find Abraham, he wept at the loss of his wife. We find Jacob had grief, much grief, when he thought that Joseph had died uh, and been killed by a wild animal. Jeremiah is called the weeping, weeping prophet, the psalmist. In our 150 Psalms, we find often they bring to God their grief and their complaints. Uh, the prophets certainly suffered disappointment. Paul wept with others whom he met on his missionary journeys because he thought he would not see them ever again uh, in this life. Timothy faced discouragement. In Luke chapter 7, there was a woman who came and washed Jesus' feet with her hair and with her tears. Mary Magdalene was at the cross and wept at the cross as well as other women. Tears, sadness, disappointment, and grief are part of the life that we live on this earth. Believers and non-believers. But we know there's a difference. First Thessalonians chapter 4 says, we mourn and we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. There's also a difference because we grieve not only because of our personal loss, or these things that may bring us grief on this earth, 
but also as we grow in Christ, we grieve more and more about those things that might grieve the heart of God. Uh, twice in the New Testament, we find record that Jesus wept. From the story of David and the example of the teachings of Jesus, we're going to discover how God is always at work, even when we are grieving or at a low point, emotionally speaking. Jesus, first of all, you've got your notes, you might want to follow along, but Jesus teaches us about personal sorrow. Jesus teaches us about personal sorrow. The second most famous verse in the Bible, which is known not by its address usually, but by its brevity, and you know what it is, it is that Jesus wept. Jesus wept at the loss of a friend. In the town of Bethany, there lived three friends of Jesus, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. Lazarus is ill, and they send for Jesus. And Jesus is delayed for four days. Meanwhile, Lazarus dies, and he's in the grave for those four days. Before Jesus even arrives, Martha goes out to meet Jesus, and he expresses, she expresses what we sometimes feel, her faith but disappointment. If you'd been here, Lord, my brother would not have died. And then as Jesus gets closer to Bethany, Mary comes out, and Mary also said with regret, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. They express what we sometimes feel even as believers. We have faith, but we still sometimes have questions. Lord, where are you? Lord, what are you up to? Lord, where have you been and what is it that you're going to do? Am I, surely I'm not the only one that asks these kinds of questions. If nothing else, the story of Lazarus, particularly from the sister's viewpoint, lets us know God is not unfamiliar with how we feel and that he is never late. And he's always working out his purposes. Now the story of Lazarus, the law of the Psalm of David, reminds us of some of the blessings we have, particularly during difficult times. As believers in the Lord Jesus, we still have blessings every, even during emotionally difficult times. And one of those is this. Jesus knows your struggles firsthand. Jesus knows your struggles firsthand. Since the children have... Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 18 says this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus is able to identify with us. We know Jesus was 100% divine, but also he was 100% human. He was God in the flesh. He knows our pains firsthand. There's not a pain, there's not a hurt, there's nothing that you could go through or that you could suffer through that Jesus has not already experienced and he's experienced firsthand. And he's the only one with the ability to bring heavenly comfort. He knows also your temptations, though you, though he never sinned. And we are tempted to allow your sadness to turn to bitterness or despair because he has been there, he can help. In uh, 2 Samuel Chapter 1, David gets word from someone who comes to the city where David has returned after the battle with the Amalekites, who tells David about the loss of the Israelites and the loss of Saul and Jonathan. Let's, let's listen in to the report found in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. It says this, uh, And the young man who told him said, By chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and there was Saul leaning on his spear, and behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close to him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? I answered him, I, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, Stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me, 
and yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm and I have brought them here to my Lord. You hear what is being said here. The one who comes and brings the report about the death of King Saul and what happened to the Israelites is the same one who says that he killed King Saul. But we know from the previous chapter that that's not how Saul died, that Saul fell on his own sword. Why this Amalekite would come and tell that to David, except that he had heard that David was Saul's enemy, and perhaps he thought he could get some favor by saying that he killed King Saul. But apparently he was there, and he had the crown, and he had the royal bracelet with him, so at least he could prove that he was there. But it was not favor he received, was it? Instead, David executed him. Now, whether it was because he knew he was lying, whether it was because he dared to take the king's life, or simply because he was an Amalekite, and the Lord had said that all Amalekites shall be taken and removed from that land. But David, who was about to become king, he knew their loss and grieved more so than anyone. Jesus, the king of kings, he knows your loss. He knows when you grieve. He cares more than you. In fact, He loves you more than you know. Another blessing that we find, we find that Jesus truly cares about your hurts. He truly cares about your loss. Uh, Jesus cared for His friends there in that town of Bethany. Back to the story of Lazarus. He stood before the tomb, wept at the loss of Lazarus. He certainly felt for Mary and Martha, but also He felt His own loss even though he knew what was to come. In the same way in which we grieve about those who are in the Lord who have passed away. We grieve even though we know what's about to come and what's going to happen if they're going to be with Jesus. Do you find it curious that we don't find a place where it says that Jesus laughed? I think probably because it was fairly common that Jesus laughed and that he smiled. And You know, when you, when you post something on Facebook or Twitter, you usually don't put down the everyday events or the mundane things that happen all the time. Okay, well, some of you do. As a matter of fact, would, would somebody please take a picture of what they're going to eat for dinner today? I'm not sure I'm going to make it unless somebody posts what they're going to eat for dinner. But uh, usually you post something that is out of the ordinary. So when Jesus wept, that's what was written down. That was taken, that's what was put out. It, maybe this is why he was so criticized for hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and leopards and the blind and the lame who were the beggars. Not only did Jesus spend a lot of time with them, not only did he heal many, not only did he say to all, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because when they did, he forgave their sins. But the problem was, he probably looked like he enjoyed it. So when the religious people and the church folks saw him, with the, saw Jesus hanging around those kinds of people, they probably thought he needed to have a little more condemning look on his face and not look like he enjoyed it so much. Maybe that's more than a theory. For when Jesus smiled, he smiled because he cared for people. When Jesus wept, and he may have wept at other times, he wept because he cared about people. Read with me again verses 19 and 20. We read it a moment ago where it says, Your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places, how the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Eshkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughter of the uncircumcised exult. This is not a time for laughter. It's not a time for the enemy to laugh, rejoice, have jubilation because the mighty have fallen. 
Jesus does not dismiss, dismiss your sorrow, nor should you. Ecclesiastes tells us there is a time to laugh and there is a time to mourn. And when it's time to grieve, Jesus grieves with you. The church mourns with you. That's, that's why you need church. That's why you need a small group. That's why you need a Christ-centered support group. Don't be like some and even some who are believers, many believers who ignore or push away their mourning or their grieving incorrectly, thinking that we do not grieve if we have Jesus. But Jesus taught us by example and by His Word, face your grief. Do like David, David did. Tell God how you feel. And ask for comfort and direction. Another blessing that we find is that Jesus wants to use your struggles for your good and for kingdom work. Jesus wants to use your struggles for your good and kingdom building. Jesus told his disciples about Lazarus in John chapter 11, verses 14 and 15, to where he said, So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Jesus waited four days for his purposes, for their good and kingdom building. Jesus stood before the tomb, verse 38 says, he was deeply moved. He asked them to remove the stone and Martha protested, but Lord, he's been in the tomb for four days. In the King James Version, it says, and he stinketh. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? Jesus prayed, and then he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And verse 44 of that chapter says that the dead man came out wrapped up like a mummy. Jesus said, take off those grave clothes and let him come and let him loose. Many more things could be said about this event. We've said them and we'll say them again. But key is for us today is verse 45. John chapter 11 and verse 45. Torah says, Many of the Jews therefore who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed. Those who were friends, followers, disciples of Jesus, their faith was strengthened. And many of those, many of others became believers. Jesus does not miraculously heal everyone. He certainly does not bring everyone back from the dead. He does not even promise that all of your problems will go away, but you can be sure that he's at work for your good and for kingdom purposes. Whatever it is that you're going through, it is not for nothing. Your struggle may be through no fault of your own. You may have grief because of something that has happened around you to someone close to you. You could be even going through something because of the fault of your own, because of your own sin, or maybe because of somebody else's. But these three things are always true. Jesus has dwelt among us. He knows your sorrows. He knows your pain. He's experienced it firsthand. He truly cares for you, and He wants to be at work in and through you. Now, I'm thankful we know a Savior who is for real. He knows about our griefs when we lose someone we love. He knows about the loss of a job or financial ruin if we've been falsely accused or people have talked ugly about us. He knows about crises in the family. He knows about your illnesses. If you're doing the 100 days of reading this past week, we came across the story of Abraham. And Abraham, of course, been promised a son and be the father of many nations after a long time of not having a son. His wife, Sarah, Sarai at that time, uh, actually gave her handmaiden, Egyptian handmaiden, Hagar, to Abraham to have a child. Hagar becomes pregnant. There's strife in the home. And uh, Sarai becomes jealous and she treats uh, Hagar uh, roughly. 
and Hagar flees. And she's feeling all alone. Matter of fact, she's grieving because of what has taken place. The Bible says there that the angel of the Lord appeared to her. The first time this phrase is used, speaking of the of a perhaps a pre-incarnate Christ or an appearing of the Lord there before uh, Hagar. And this Egyptian maidservant suddenly hears from the Lord and receives encouragement. After the conversation is over, Hagar calls says, and, and uses a new name for God, at least new in the Bible at that point. He is Elroy, meaning he is the God who sees. Indeed, he is the God who sees me. Heard a man give testimony in church not too long ago, and he spoke frankly about the increasing divorce rate in our country and in our churches. And he said, oh, churches need to be ready to show hope and encouragement for those who are contemplating divorce and much grace to those who have already been divorced. And then he said, for I have been through it, and it brings sorrow worse than death of a loved one. He spoke with conviction and authority because he has been through it. Jesus speaks with conviction and authority because as God in the flesh, he has been through it. Comfort for those who mourn is not automatic, but for all those who come to Jesus in faith, looking for hope and answers. No true lasting hope or comfort can be found outside of Jesus. But there's another kind of mourning that Jesus wants to teach us for those of us who are believers and introduced to us and the story of David and the loss of Saul due to his unfaithfulness teach us about godly sorrow. Jesus teaches us about godly sorrow, that which would break the heart of God. In another gospel chapter, Luke chapter 19, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. This is the triumphant entry five days before the cross. And the people are welcoming him, Jesus and they're shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so much shouting is going on that the Pharisees tell Jesus, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, if they did not cry out, these very stones will cry out. Amidst this festive atmosphere, where probably most ordinary people would just kind of relish and bask in the limelight, Jesus saw beyond the festivity. And a striking verse, particularly for that day, in the triumphal entries. Luke chapter 19 and verse 41. And it says, And when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus reminds us that believers are able to see beyond the earthly. We're able to see the heart of heaven. Jesus wept, of course, about the coming judgment on all those who have rejected him. And he wept over sinful Jerusalem. We're to weep for our own sins, particularly those that we have not repented, and for the sins of the coming judgment for all those who are without Christ. In fact, there should be a connection, maybe between dealing with our own grief and loss, which is very real, but the Lord wants to use that and to bring us into a right relationship, maybe even to reveal sins in our life that we need to repent of. Or to use grief and loss, perhaps, to think about other people who are grieving and who have lost, or particularly those who do not know Christ and experiencing a much greater loss if they don't know Jesus. But teaches, Jesus teaches there are benefits when we feel about sin, the way God feels about sin. The first one is this. There's a heart cleansing. A heart cleansing. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to 
cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we do not mourn for our sins or have never mourned for our sins, there are no cleansing. But if we repent of sin, Jesus forgives and he takes away the guilt and the condemnation. Let's make sure we understand there is a one-time prayer of repentance in which we are able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That is, it is a prayer to where we genuinely and sincerely ask Christ to be able to forgive our sins so that we might become a part of the family of God. And when we ask Jesus to forgive us our sins in order to come into the kingdom, we recognize that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins for all time. He's, he's forgiven us of past, present, and future sins. And Jesus is Lord, and we're children of the Heavenly Father. There may be someone here today who's yet to pray that particular prayer, or yet to come and genuinely ask Jesus to be Savior and Lord. And today, you may be here today, and you need, may need to ask Christ to forgive you of all of your sins and ask Jesus to be able to come in. As children in God's family, there's a daily prayer of confession. It's represented in the Lord's Prayer. For we still make wrong choices and as children our sins hurt the heart of God, but the Bible promised that He does not leave us or forsake us. And we, we daily confess sin as His children, not for salvation, but so that we might have a close fellowship with Him and so that we might be usable vessels in His service. Too many believers do not know the benefit of a clean heart because either they are not daily confessing of their sins or they have believed Satan's lie that says, I don't care how many times you pray, you're still guilty. Don't you feel guilty? Don't you feel dirty? Well, that's Satan's lie because even no matter how you feel, you need to know and put your faith in the fact of God's promises that He forgives us of all of our sins. Believe God and His Word Believe like 1 John 1, 9 tells us that he does cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or as Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, in Christ there is therefore no condemnation. Another benefit of feeling about sin or grieving for that which God grieves, it's the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. The Holy Spirit sometimes called the counselor or the helper. And one benefit of being a believer is that we receive the Holy Spirit the moment that we are saved and He leads us and guides us. He reminds us of what Jesus did and what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit is there to comfort us when we have our earthly sorrow, but also when we grieve for others who need to know Jesus. And if we become more submissive to the Holy Spirit, then we're more likely to be able to see how and who we can bring encouragement to and to be able to share about Jesus. Those who are able to feel about sin the way God feels about sin are able to see people the way Jesus sees people. The Holy Spirit is God in us. He's our comfort and our guide. Ask Him to break your heart for people and not things. May we mourn for that which is important to God and not just for that which is important for us. We might find that some of the things that we grieve or some of the things that bring us discouragement pale in comparison to that which is really important to God. And then we need to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us so that we can be part of the solution. I've got an H thing going here, but i got the one more benefit that we find as we mourn and grieve about the things that break the heart of God, and that is heaven. It's certainly a benefit. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 and 18 says this, And thus we shall always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. There's comfort in knowing that heaven 
waits for us. I wish I could tell you that whatever problem you have today or whatever you're grieving over, be it an earthly sorrow, a heavenly sorrow, or that that also grieves the heart of God, I wish I could tell you that that morning will be taken away instantly. But the Bible doesn't promise that. But if you take it to Jesus, your feelings of desperation will not last. Your pain is short-lived. Keep fighting the good fight, for even if your struggle lasts the extent of your life, you know that these benefits of following Jesus are yours as you draw close to Him. And it's not just the amount of time, but it's the quality of life that we're able to have as we walk with Jesus every day and one day for eternity. And one day, all tears will be wiped away. Keep fighting the good fight. You're not alone. Christian singer, songwriter, Toby Mack, lost, they lost a child in their home, in their Nashville home, on October 23rd, 2019, from an accidental drug overdose. In that year, he said these words, when we lost Truett, I met grief in the fiercest way. In a recent interview heard this week, he said, saints are not people who are good. Saints are people who have experienced the goodness of God. And he said, I experienced the goodness of God in the valley. Would there be no problems and no struggles or sadness in the world? But the problem is without it, we would probably not see a need for the relationship with Jesus and not be able to know how good God really is. Now, we've looked at a lot of New Testament passages and talked about Jesus, but that's for a purpose. And boy, we kind of come toward the end of this thing, and I want you to see something that is really important. And I'm afraid sometimes I might lose you here, but, but I really want to build up. So if I've lost you, I want to bring you back here for just a minute because the story of Israel being defeated, the loss of King Saul and Jonathan and David's lament, it's a sad story. But even in the story, we see glimmers of hope. And when we read that story in light of what Jesus did and what Jesus taught us in the cross and the resurrection, it's not just a glimmer of hope, but it is a bright, shining light. For with the passing of Saul, there's going to be a new king who will be a true servant king in the Old Testament, the man after God's own heart. God will use him to bring the nation of Israel to its greatest height, militarily, politically, and spiritually. And when we consider Jesus, there's something that's even better. But in order to do that, I want you to look at 1 Samuel chapter 31. One chapter back, verses 8 through 10, it says this. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head, stripped off his armor, sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Well, that doesn't sound like very good news, does it? They crucified Saul on a wall. Tragic end to one who turned his back on God. Maybe it should remind us that we are all sinners who do not deserve any better. But there was one who was crucified. One who was crucified for my sins and for yours. A sad day to grieve, particularly because he is truly the only innocent one. But we know that that was not the end. For the one who is the king of kings conquered death and sin and rose again to give a new life so that no one might have to die tragically ever again if they put their faith in Jesus. So that no one may ever have to grieve again without hope because they put their faith 
in Jesus. We are to pursue Jesus and take Him our sorrows. As 1 Samuel comes to an end, thank goodness there's a second Samuel and a new king. Your life before meeting Jesus was heading toward a tragic end, but the next chapter, with Jesus gives hope and encouragement, your grief may still be carried out into the next chapter or maybe into another season of life. It may be something that you carry with you along the way. Some of you have grief. You realize some of it may never go away, but whatever you're going through, whatever season or chapter in your life, be sure that the King of Kings, Jesus, is in the center of your story. And there's a biblical connection between godly sorrow and godly joy when we turn our struggles over to Jesus or when we hurt for the loss of the things that we know displease God. If in Jesus is found comfort, He has a way of turning sorrow into joy. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Who said that? Who wrote that? You already know. Or maybe you need to look it up. But if you believe that, if you believe that Jesus can bring joy even in the midst of sorrow, keep trusting in Him. Keep putting your faith in Him. Draw to Him even closer. If this is new to you, in other words, you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord, run to Jesus. Don't do anything else until you come and you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and ask Jesus to be your Savior and Lord so that you might have help through these days that we are experiencing, so that you might have that eternal life. Let's pray together. Father God, as we come to you now, we recognize that you continue to be at work in the lives of the individuals of our church. We thank you that you bring comfort and hope and encouragement. We thank you even the story of David that we might be able to see pointing to Jesus, that there is the one who is the King of Kings, who is still king, that already he is on his throne, he will never be taken off, and we can trust in him. Father, may we pursue you. And if there are those who don't know Christ today, not sure they have a home in heaven, may they run to Jesus now, knowing that he's waiting and ready to forgive sins, put us in the right direction, and to have life brand new. We lift these prayers up in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.